Let me read to you uh, an entry I wrote in my journal a few years ago. It was after a time where I had just pretty much messed up and um, was processing that with the Lord. And I got to thinking about that as I was preparing for this morning's message. Lord, I have failed. Please forgive and grace and grow me. I've been more given to planning than to prayer and to working than to waiting on you. I've been too reliant on wisdom that is not anchored deeply enough in the true source and foundation, the fear of the Lord. I have allowed the clutter and clatter of things to mute the Spirit's voice. I don't know if you can relate to that. Um, That has been my experience actually more than once in my life. It's kind of a recurring lesson that I um, get out ahead of myself. I get out ahead of God sometimes, and um, that never works well. And sometimes, by His grace, He gently draws me back. This morning, we start a series on prayer called Teach Us to Pray. And the idea of the uh, title is, is twofold, that God would teach us to pray, that He would shape our hearts more and more so that prayer is our natural response, it's our natural expression, it's our natural way of life, that prayer would just be part of the fabric of who we are, constantly expressed. And along the way, that we would also learn better how to pray, better uh, approaches to prayer. So sermons will deal with uh, either or some of them, maybe both aspects, but that's the idea that God would teach us to pray uh, because that's critically important. I don't know what your prayer life is like, but um, all of us uh, could probably use some growth. Uh, When somebody asks about that, that can be a little bit um, intimidating uh, because Probably none of us feel our prayer life is everything that we would want it to be or everything that God would want it to be. My purpose is not to put us on our heels in guilt. It's actually to lean us forward in anticipation of grace. Um, But we have to start with asking some good questions. I read this in a a book on prayer uh, just recently. It says, because of prayerlessness, our lives are often marked by fear, anxiety, joylessness, and spiritual lethargy. So there's some good markers to kind of ask yourself or ask God to search you about. Um, Are you living in fear right now? There's a whole lot of fear. There are people that are afraid of the economy. They're afraid of germs. They're afraid of the government. They're afraid of how other people will respond to them. Just fear is all around us. Uh, Is that your experience? Or anxiety. There's an awful lot of anxiety around us. Some of us find ourselves very uh, joyless. It's just grim. Um, Probably more than a few of us would suggest that we have a spiritual lethargy about us. And the quote that I just read suggests that one of the causes, perhaps a primary cause, is rooted in our prayer lives. We need God to teach us to pray. Back um, many, many years ago, Augustine, who lived roughly 400 years after Jesus, one of the great church leaders, said that um, the typical response of Christians as they were interacting and then leaving, you know, parting ways, uh, would be to look at each other and say, be mindful of me. 
And that was before we talked about mindfulness and the whole Zen kind of approach to life. It was um, something more significant than simply being attentive. It was, it was saying, recall me to God. Think about me and pray. Lift me up before the Lord. Be mindful of me. That was the standard way of parting ways and expecting my brothers and sisters, your brothers and sisters, to be supporting us and encouraging us and caring for us in prayer. Um, a couple of hundred years prior to that, just a couple of hundred years after Jesus, we have another church leader named Tertullian who was writing about how church functioned as people were gathered. And here's part of what he said. We gather as an assembly and as if we had formed a military unit, we force our way up to God. And God is pleased with this. In other words, the idea is we gather together and we are so intent in prayer that we will overcome any obstacle that keeps us from connecting with God, that keeps us from calling out to God, that keeps us from lifting up to God those things that matter, just as a military unit will fight to overcome any obstacle to win the goal to accomplish the mission. That's what Tertullian said church was like back in the day. Or if you want to go back all the way to the beginning, remember the church was born in a prayer meeting. The day of Pentecost literally was a prayer meeting when the Holy Spirit came. The church was born in prayer, and ever since then it has always died apart from prayer. So as a church family, <clears throat> one of the questions we want to ask ourselves during this season is, how are we as a, as a praying community? Are we like that military unit that will fight our way to uh, a place of connection with God, or do we get distracted? Are we those who can um, rightly entrust ourselves to each other and say, remember me, be mindful of me, pray for me, and know that that will actually happen or not? Um, do we need God to teach us to pray? One of the things I've been meditating on this week is the simple statement, Jesus was a man of prayer. Jesus was defined by prayer. And um, if you really let that sink in, that's pretty stunning. That's a, that's, a, that's a staggering, it ought to set you back kind of statement, at least for many of us, because I think for a lot of us, our prayer lives really center on um, things like, I'm in over my head, help. Um, was Jesus ever in over his head? If that's what drives me to prayer, why is he praying? Um, our prayer lives often center on us just being desperate. Was Jesus ever desperate? Or sometimes, if we're honest, our prayer lives center on us bargaining with God, trying to, trying to teach him what the right pathway forward is and then enlist his help in accomplishing that. Right? Getting God aligned with us so that what we want can happen. Well, Jesus never would have done that. So if the things that drive much of many of our prayer lives didn't apply to him, what did he pray about? Why did he pray? I think fundamentally prayer is um, at the very core of what it means to be human and to have relationship with God. And so when God entered this world and set aside his glory and became like us, Jesus needed prayer because it's fundamental to the relationship with God. It's how life works. Jesus was a man of prayer, committed to prayer, living out prayer 
all the time. And if he needed that, how much more do I need that? Uh, if you have a Bible, or you can even just watch on the screen, uh, I want to direct your attention to Luke chapter 5, and just two short verses um, to anchor us this morning. Uh, in Luke 5, it, what's happened is Jesus' ministry has really begun to get some significant traction. He's done quite a few miracles. He's done some teaching, and uh, in the immediate context is he's just healed somebody of leprosy, and that is like a match to tender, and this explosive response happens. And uh, we'll just pick it up in verse 16. It says, now even more the report about him, that's Jesus, went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Amazing things are happening. The ministry is just taking off. He's come to work miracles and to teach about the kingdom, to present the kingdom so that people can respond and be made right with God. And now people are responding. People are coming to experience the working of the kingdom, to listen to the teaching of the kingdom. And intuitive for me would be lean into that. This is a time to push hard. This is go time. And counterintuitive, it says that Jesus would withdraw to desolate places to pray. That says something really significant about him. In fact, this passage, I think, gives two key characteristics about Jesus in prayer that if I want to um, experience even a measure of what he experienced, I, I need to incorporate those into my life. Two simple phrases that you can take with you. First, prayer was a constant for Jesus. It was a constant. And then second, prayer was a commitment, right? It was the normal function of his life, and it was something he fought for. Um, so that it could remain a normal function of his life. Prayer was a constant for Jesus. When it says in these verses, he would withdraw to desolate places to pray, that's a pattern. That's, that's tipping the hand to say this is an ongoing, repeated kind of incident. Um, throughout Jesus' entire life and ministry, prayer was defining happened all the time. Right at the very beginning uh, of his ministry, he's baptized, and it says after his baptism, he is praying, and that's when God speaks from heaven. In fact, God speaks from heaven three times that people around Jesus can hear, and all three times happen in the context of prayer. The first one is right at the beginning at his baptism. Shortly after that, he's been teaching, he's been doing miracles, and he settles into Capernaum for a little while, and a lot of miracles are happening, a lot of teaching is happening, amazing things are happening, and it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus went away to a lonely place to pray, and his disciples come to look for him, this is in the beginning of Mark, they come to look for him and say, everyone's looking for you, Lord, this is amazing, cool things are happening, and, and they're expecting that they're going to set up shop in Capernaum and build the ministry there, and Jesus says, no, we need to move on, we've got a mission to fulfill, and we've got to keep going, and that comes out of a context of praying. In the midst of success, he slows it down and, and focuses and says, okay, God, what are you doing? Jesus prays. Jesus prays all the time. It says in, um, in Luke that he got away to a mountain to pray. And while he was there, that's when God revealed his glory. The transfiguration happens, and the glory that he had before he came to earth, at least a little bit of that shows through, and God speaks again from heaven. That happens in the context of prayer. When Jesus chooses his 12, 
the particular disciples, the apostles, it says the night prior, he spent all night in prayer. After he feeds the 5,000, he dismisses the crowd and he sends his disciples across the lake and he goes by himself to pray. Jesus finishes his ministry in prayer. The night before he's crucified, in the upper room, we have all these great teachings, John 14, 15, 16, and then John 17, an entire chapter devoted to prayer. Everything is coming to its conclusion, and there's space, a lot of space given to, and a lot of time taken for prayer. And then when he's done praying in John 17, the next thing he does is he get up, and he leaves to go to the Mount of Olives to pray. And he prays three different seasons of prayer while he's on the Mount of Olives before the crucifixion. As the crucifixion itself is happening, that happens in the context of prayer. The very beginning, it starts with, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. At his lowest point during the crucifixion, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it concludes, the victorious conclusion is, Father, into, into your hands I commit my spirit. Right? This whole season is in prayer. From start to end, in every occasion, Jesus is devoting himself to prayer. Jesus goes to battle in prayer. He says to Peter, Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you, but don't worry, I have prayed for you. And he goes to battle for you and me in John 17. He says, not only am I praying for these, I'm praying for those who will hear and who will respond to their message. That's, that's you and me. He goes to battle in prayer. He goes to battle to remove any obstacles to prayer. He gets very angry. Zeal for God's house consumes him, we're told. And he makes a whip and he drives people out of the temple because my house will be called a house of prayer and you are keeping that from happening in all the cacophony of your robbing of people here. He takes, it, he takes it very seriously. He teaches us. He says, I want you always to pray and never give up. And so he gives a parable. Prayer is absolutely central to who Jesus is. And I, I think most of us want it to be central to who we are. It's a constant for him. Is it a constant for me? That's the question. And, and if it's not, what can I do? And, and, and it's, a, it's an incremental thing. It's where am I right now and, and how's the trajectory of my life? Am I growing in my prayerfulness? Are we as a family growing in our prayerfulness? Am I as a follower of Jesus growing in my prayerfulness? What are some of the things that I need to do so that my life can have a constant a constancy in prayer. Prayer was a constant for Jesus. Um, and I tried to think of, there's a whole lot of things we could probably talk about. I tried to think of several things that seem to be pretty common that get in the way. And so maybe these are some things that will help you to at least think about and then see, God, can you help me with this? So the first thing that came to my mind is if, if I'm going to grow in prayer, prayer is going to be a constant. I have, to, I have to get past forgetfulness. One of the reasons I don't pray is I forget right? I, I intend to pray. I want to pray. Life gets going. The day gets happening. And before you know it, I may have prayed a few things along the way, but it just isn't that big of a part because I forgot, right? You, 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 you gather with your Christian brothers and sisters, maybe at church, maybe in a life group, maybe some other setting, and you start sharing your hearts and somebody pours out their heart and wants, wants you to pray for them. And, and you say, I, I will pray for you. And then you walk away, and how often do you forget? It's easy to do. 
It's easy to do. We have to get past forgetfulness. And, and there's really practical things that can be done. And, and you have to find things that work for you. I remember many years ago, someone suggested to my wife and I, post-it notes. <laughs> the great gift from God, a post-it note. Keep it with you. Keep it in your Bible on Sunday. And if somebody shares something, if there's a need for prayer, write it down. And then look at it again. Now, if you're never going to look at your Bible again, don't leave, you know, an unread Bible will also have an unprayed over post-it note in it. So you got to take it out and put it on the mirror or some other place you'll see it. And by the way, if, if the unread Bible is an issue, you can write on there, read the Bible. Um, but that's another sermon. What is it that you want to be praying for? Maybe a post-it note is a simple way to get past forgetfulness. Or an alarm on your phone, you know. Um, when we got that advice, smartphones weren't a thing, now they are. So um, an alarm on your phone can be a reminder. And also remember, it's more than just this day. Sometimes the day itself is kind of crazy. And um, it, it's not realistic or possible in every crazy day to uh, just rearrange everything so that prayer happens the way we would want. We need to be praying every day in the midst of the craziness. But there are emergency things that come up. And, and for me to keep prayer central, to get past my forgetfulness, it also may require me to look beyond my watch and look at my calendar and say, here's a rhythm that I can build in longer term, that I'm going to build in some time for prayer. I'm going to build in some time for quiet with the Lord. And that's going to be a major part of my life. I have to get past forgetfulness. Another thing is sometimes we forget to pray when we pray. There's actually a pretty simple one, and that may sound silly, but uh, at least, if, at least if, you, if you have been raised like I have or have experience like I have, uh, there are times that you just pray. It's just kind of part of your culture. Like every time you sit down to a meal, prayer is the natural thing to do. And it's amazing how often we can, we can pray without actually praying, without actually, without actually focusing our attention and saying, wait a minute, I'm talking to God here. I'm going to open my heart to God here. One of the ways to get past forgetfulness is just to remember to pray when we're praying and not just mouth words. All kinds of things, and, and we each need to find our own things, but if, if prayer's going to be a constant, I have to deal with the fact that it's easy to forget. I have to find ways to make sure I remember. And, and if it's going to be a constant for us as a community, we also have to get past awkwardness. It's awkward to pray with other people. And if we don't deal with that, then we won't, right? And the only way to, for it to become unawkward is to just do it. I have a, a guy that I'm, I'm mentoring, and, and he was talking with me. There's somebody he wants to be praying with, and he is praying with, but it's really awkward, and it's, it's kind of intimidating him. And I said, great, we'll practice here. You go first. And, and it's like, we'll pray together, and as, as the awkwardness of you and me praying together diminishes, you can build from that to this other relationship that's actually more important, and you can be more comfortable there too. We all have to do that. Uh, it's amazing how awkward we can be when it comes to praying with other people. I was listening to a message from somebody that runs an international prayer ministry. Right? He's the head, he's the founder of an international prayer ministry, and he was talking about a friend of his who also leads another significant ministry, and they would have lunch about once a month, and, and this friend said to him, you know, when we're done eating, we should go to the car and sit in the car and pray. And, and here's this leader of a prayer ministry. He said, you know, that was awkward. <laughs> uh, that was a weird thing. And we just had to get past it, right? So for us to pray as a family, maybe you praying in your family as the mother or the father, or maybe as a child within the family, you just have to do it. And you have to do it enough that you become comfortable with it. 
to get past it because awkwardness is something that will block us. And if we want to be constant in prayer, we have to get past that. We also have to get, get to ordinariness, right? We get past forgetfulness. We get, we get past uh, awkwardness and we get to ordinariness. And here's what I mean by that. Prayer is nothing special. And that's meant to elevate it, not to diminish it. It's nothing special. It's life. It's supposed to be in, around, and through everything. And sometimes I think we make it like this special uh, moment kind of thing, and, and then it doesn't become uh, everything that it should be in our lives because it's, you know, it's something you create special time for, special emphasis for, but in the warp and woof of daily living it just kind of gets lost in the shuffle. We have to get to where prayer is actually just, just ordinary. Um, I've been chewing on this for a little while now, and I, I, I'm not fully committed to it yet, but I think it's right. I think it's right. Um, I, I'm not supposed to build my life around prayer. I am not supposed to build my life around prayer. I'm supposed to build my life through prayer. There's a difference that I think is really significant. In fact, uh, just as a, an extra bonus, uh, not, not really part of the prayer thing, but it's a good analogy that helps me and maybe it'll help some of you. Years ago, it, it struck me that worship is not something that I do. Worship is everything that I do. And making that little shift in my heart has suddenly opened up worship in whole new ways. And, and so now if I'm gathered in a worship service, it's not about the experience because I'm worshiping all the time. It's, it's about expressing, and it can be special. There's these special moments, these amazing occurrences, but I don't have to have anything in particular to be worshiping because it's just, it's just what I do. It's life. Everything is worship. And I don't, I don't build my life around prayer. I build my life by prayer. It's the breath of my life. For Jesus, every occasion was an occasion for prayer. It, it was the breath of his life. I, I, you probably haven't had anyone, unless you, you're currently having health problems, you probably haven't had anyone come up to you recently and say, how's your breathing? Did you breathe today? Is that going well? You know, if, if you have a breathing problem, that, then yeah, that happens. Or if you have a particular need, athletes, um, you know, they focus on breathing. Sometimes we need to focus on breathing. It's, it's something I've been thinking about recently because as a speaker, um, years ago, I shifted where I spoke from because when I spoke from my diaphragm, my voice was much more resonant and I sounded like I was on the radio and I sounded insincere. And, and it was getting in the way of actually connecting with people. And, and so I kind of shifted it up where I sound a little chattier but it puts a little more strain on my voice, and now I've got to figure out how to make sure I guard my voice. Now I'm paying attention to breathing, right? There are occasions where we do that, but most of the time, you just breathe. There are occasions to focus on and work on prayer. But if prayer is what it's supposed to be, it's just like breath. How's your prayer life, in some ways, should be like, how's your breathing? Are you breathing? Well, you're here. You can answer. You must be breathing. How's your prayer life? Well, you're, you're following Jesus. You're living with God. You must be praying. That's the goal. That's what I want to get to because that's what I'm actually designed for. Jesus needed to pray because it's fundamental to being human. 
It's not just about finding solutions. It's also about pursuing communion, right? Sometimes I look at prayer as a means to an end to find solutions to this challenge, this problem, this opportunity. It is that, but it's far more than that. It's about communion. It's about me doing life together with God. The Son of God in human existence needed to pursue that every moment of every day. How much more do I need to pursue that? Maybe I need God to teach me to pray. Jesus was constant in prayer. The other thing that we see in this passage is prayer was a commitment. Prayer was constant and prayer was a commitment. Notice that especially in these verses, read them again, even more. Did you catch that? Even more report went abroad, great crowds gathered. And then verse 16, he would withdraw to desolate places. Those words even more and the word desolate say he's working this thing. He's got to overcome even the success that's coming at him to create space for prayer. He's got to fight for it. He's got to literally force it into his life. So he runs away in a sense from the very things he's here to pursue to a desolate place so that he can make sure he connects with God. Now, he's not running away from crowds because he doesn't want to be around crowds, doesn't want to work miracles, doesn't want to teach. That's exactly why he came. He just wants that to be rooted in the right things, and the very things that he's working at can get in the way of their foundation, of their source. And so he's got to fight for time to focus, and he has to go to a desolate place. In the book of Mark, there's one incident recorded a little bit earlier even than this that I've talked about a couple of times when Peter and the disciples come out and it, to, to tell him, Lord, everyone's looking for you. And he says, yeah, we've got to go to other places. He gets up very early in the morning while it is still dark to go to a lonely place to pray. He's constantly fighting and, and, and forcing into his life the prayer that is necessary to anchor him so that it can actually spill out as the everyday, every moment occurrence, right? There is a time and a place where I just have to do battle to make sure that I'm, I'm going to grow in prayer. And, and for us, I think there's a lot of things we could focus on, but I'll, I'll give you three to kind of wrestle with that you, you can address maybe in your own life. The first is I think we have to um, get past our, um, or, or fight against our false urgency, right? There are so many things that I take as so urgent. Um, it's amazing how many people, for instance, can't even let a phone ring. It drives them crazy. Ah, they got to pick it up. Why? Why? I may or may not need to pick up the phone, but it's urgent. It's ringing. Ah, and, 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 and life comes at me like that. And I, I've got to tame it. I've got to, uh, you know, life is full. And Jesus, in the moment, it says, where he is developing this habit of withdrawing to uh, desolate places to pray, life is lighting up. The opportunity is abounding. This is, this is what we would call go time. Look, everyone's showing up. Everyone wants to be healed. Everyone wants to listen to your teaching. Here's where this thing goes viral. Here's where this thing gets explosive. Lean into that. But here's, here's the thing, and, and, and not to say that there's not a time to lean in, 
We can't spend every moment slowing down and saying, wait, wait, let me spend a lot of time in prayer. There are genuine emergencies. There's genuine moments of opportunity. But for most of us, that's not actually our danger. Most of us, our danger is not that we would slow it down too much and pray too much. Overwhelmingly, I think our dangers will blow right past it because we feel a false sense of urgency. And if I have an opportunity in front of me, that's a sovereign opportunity. And the sovereign God who worked out the circumstances I'm in right now, whether I would call that opportunity a challenge, a problem, or a really neat potential outcome. The sovereign God who worked that out isn't going to work himself out of the equation. There's got to be a place and a time and a space for me to slow it down enough to connect with him. If I'm going to be praying, um, that's got to be a commitment I fight for. And one of the things I have to fight against is my false sense of urgency. Another thing I have to fight against is the muchness of my life. Uh, some things aren't even urgent. We, they just come at us. We just fill life. And not all of that's bad. This is not a plea for simplicity. I think simplicity is important. And where I can develop simplicity, please do. But life is complex. And I can't get rid of everything. And I can't live this monastic monkish life that some people want to live in an ideal world, that would be wonderful, but I don't live in that world. I live in a world that's pressing against me, and there's a lot of muchness. The question isn't, is there a lot coming at me? The question is, where's the center of gravity in the midst of that? Right? I have to fight against the muchness. Um, here are four words that will kill my prayer life quicker than almost anything else. As soon as I... I will pray as soon as I fill in a blank. Because there's all this other stuff. As soon as I do the dishes, as soon as I mow the lawn, as soon as I balance the checkbook, as soon as I gas the car, it, it can be big things, it can be small things. But it, it, the, the more frequently that, that phrase comes to my lips, or at least could legitimately be applied to my life, the less frequently I am likely to pray because my life accumulates clutter pretty easily and there's a lot of clatter around me and it's easy for me then to just get overwhelmed by that. Life is pretty thick. Prayer is for the thick of it. It has to work in the life that I actually have right now, not in the ideal one that I hope to get to someday or it's of no value. Prayer has to work in the life that I'm actually in, which means I have to constantly do battle with muchness in order to make sure I keep coming back to fighting for prayer. Prayer is a commitment. The third battle I think that we all have to fight is a fight against self-reliance. Um, we want to be in control. And when I immediately try to take control, unless I'm totally overwhelmed, here's something interesting. Often our prayer life is most vibrant in crisis. And I think that's because in crisis, um, I have real urgency, not false urgency. Um, muchness gets clarified. All of this other stuff gets swept off to the side and I'm focused on the crisis. And I'm in over my head so I know I can't be self-reliant, so it's easier for me to turn to God. I have to fight against self-reliance. Um, I want to control things. And if God's really sovereign and I'm really building my life 
in response and I'm committed to prayer, that, that idea of control can actually morph into an idea of curiosity. And here's what I mean by that. I, I heard this, the same message from the guy that led the prayer ministry that encouraged me in some other ways. He said, I think, I think we move from control to curiosity in this way. God's in control. I don't have to be. I'm going to pray. I'm going to work hard. But at the end of the day, he's doing something. And so I don't strive harder and harder to, to fix things. I lean into him. I pray. I will work hard. But I'm looking for what's he doing. I'm curious about what's God accomplishing here. How's this going to work its way out? And I'm open to whatever he might want to do. Uh, A few years ago, I met a man named Tom Mambo. Really left an impression on me. I love his name. Makes me want to (laughs) dance, obviously. But um, he grew up in a a small village in Africa and uh, wound up getting an education, became a teacher, wound up by God's providence back in a small village where he was teaching children who were needy. In fact, a lot of orphans began showing up because of the AIDS um, crisis that was just ravaging the country. So in order to take care of these kids, he's teaching them, but then they don't have care. So then he builds a house next to his, and then he adds onto it and expands it. And he winds up raising money. And the next thing you know, he's running an orphanage and he's got staff. And then he and his family are living in his house. And then they're teaching these orphans. Well, then all the kids in the surrounding village need education. So he begins to teach them. And they actually start learning, not just the things about a good education, but in the process, Tom Mambo's a faithful follower of Jesus. They start to come to Christ. And their lives begin to transform, which creates dialogue with their parents. It creates interesting opportunity and sometimes conflict. And so he begins to talk with them. And one by one, they begin to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And then as the opposition of some grow, they start to gather together and they pray. Prayer was the defining reality of Tom's life and the defining reality of the people he was surrounded by. So they start praying and overcome obstacles. More people come to faith. And the next thing you know, they need a church, and Tom doesn't have any training, but he's the guy. So now he's, he's teaching all these kids. He's running an orphanage, and he's pastoring a church that explodes with growth based on prayer, based on them just being faithful and saying, what are you doing, God? And this is four years after this started that I met him, and they had planted 12 churches And it was planted through evangelism and prayer. And their church had like 450 people in it and was just exploding with growth. They were feeding almost 600 children from the community every day of the week, lunch and breakfast. They had 87 children in this orphanage. It It was just explosive. And it was all based on we're not in control of anything. We don't have any illusion about that. We're just trying to be with God and we're praying. We're praying. We are not self-reliant. We're relying on God. I met him on a Sunday. This Sunday prior, in their service, things went crazy. And a spontaneous prayer meeting broke out as a result. At the end of the service, five men came forward to the front of the church and publicly confessed witchcraft and demonology. They were, they were seeking to use the demonic power that they thought they could manipulate to destroy the church. And they had come to the church that day to do harm. And God had gotten a hold of their lives through the message and the Holy Spirit was working. And they came forward and they confessed that publicly and they professed faith in Christ. And as this is going on, in a matter of just a few minutes, a huge wind whipped up outside and ripped the roof off of the building so that they're looking out at the blue sky above them. 
And everyone immediately assumes there's a spiritual battle going on, and they all rush to the front of the church right to surround these guys, and this spontaneous prayer meeting breaks out. It's one week later. When I'm talking with Tom Mambo, this has just happened. They had just replaced the roof. You could see the new roofing as he's telling me this story, and he's super excited. People really didn't care about the roof. They cared about what God was doing, and he, his words were, I think, I think a revival may be breaking out. And he was excited about that. That was moving to me, and that's moving to me actually in this context too, because as, as, as he was talking about, he said the people didn't care that they were worshiping out under the open sky. They cared about what God was doing in the lives of others, and they were praying, and God was moving. Well, um, you're worshiping in your home right now. Earlier, a bunch of us were worshiping out under the open sky. It's a weird time. Strange things are happening. Wouldn't it be cool, though? Wouldn't it be cool if our response was just focused on what's God doing? A certain holy curiosity that says, you're a sovereign God. You're at work. I'm not going to rely on me. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to show up. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to watch you work. Wouldn't it be amazing if God used this time as a time for revival in my life, in your life, in our church, and the world around us? Wouldn't that be wonderful? How's your prayer life? Maybe this is the time we need God to teach us to pray. As you might guess, I want to end in prayer. And I'm going to pray phrases from the Lord's Prayer briefly. I'm going to give you a template that you can use later, but I want to give you a moment, pause, I'll give you a prompt with the phrase, to pray something. And then when we're done, I'll pray it all the way through together, and you're welcome to pray it out loud where you are as well. And then we'll worship some more through music. Here's the prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Where you are right now, ask God to manifest his glory, to show his glory through you in some way to this world, to your family, to your neighbors at work. Notice too it says our Father. This is something we do together. Maybe there's, maybe there's a, a relational rift that you know of. Maybe you're sitting on the couch with somebody you're estranged from and you need God to show his glory by bringing reconciliation. And you need to honor that by humbling yourself. Take a moment. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The first thing that comes to your mind that's a need, ask God to put something on your mind and, and trust that that's from him. How might his kingdom come on earth in that? Maybe it's in changing your heart. Maybe it's in addressing a need. Maybe it's about your family. Maybe it's about your neighborhood. Maybe it's about our world. What is it? Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is a time to bring your needs to God. What is it that you need? We all need to live rightly related to him and each other. Maybe there's something he wants to point out there. Take a moment and talk to him about those things. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Holiness matters, and some of us are playing with sin. 
Some of us have these secret sins. This is the time to bring that before the Lord and repent. Some of us have real holiness struggles right now. We all struggle. But it might be acute for you right now. Maybe you're in a good place and you just want God to reinforce the holiness he's giving you. Talk to him about that. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.